Okay, John Connors, thanks a million for coming into the actors' room. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first off, uh, tell us, how did you get into acting? Did you always want to be an actor, or how did that happen? No, no. Um, come from where I came from, in Kulak, North Dublin, beside Darndale. Um, and being from the travelling community, um, you know, saying you want to be an actor <laughs> is, you know, like saying you want to be an alien living on a different planet. It's yeah, that it's mad. So yeah. uh, it, that thought never even registered in me whatsoever. Yeah. But actually, what people always ask me how I started acting, and I never, for some reason, I never told them the first uh, first time I was in touch with acting. I, I don't know why. I just kind of blanked it. Right. I kind of blanked it. And the other day, a friend of mine reminded me because he was there in the room when it started. And he was like, "You need to tell them where it really started." Yeah, do tell us. Because uh, <laughs> I, I always said it was uh, the Abbey was the first brush with acting, and it actually wasn't. I was in a false course when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. and um, I remember there was like two Canadian teachers who come in, a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came in. One was French Canadian. The man was French Canadian. There was just normal, regular generic Canadian woman yeah. and they were they were both actors acting teachers so they said there was an actor course starting and the the course I was on was a metalwork course okay and you did English or maths as well along with it whatever but I hate that I just did it because it, it would look cool to the rest of my family I'm doing metalwork yeah. I'm a man I'm doing manly things but <laughs> yeah. I had no interest whatsoever <laughs> I played ping pong most of the time to be honest with you uh, so I ended up, ended up saying, yeah, acting, cool, yeah. Like, I always love films, like, more than love them, obsessed with them, you know what I mean? Right, I just said, yeah. yeah, but I would never, even when they came in, I said, yeah, th- I didn't think, like, I'd be an actor, just for the crack, get out of the play, get out yeah, of this class, you know? So the they asked us to come up upstairs, we went upstairs, and they asked us to do a bit of improvising, and I did a bit of improvising, and I think I was playing a boxer, and my friend was, was my manager, and we, I remember just having great crack, and it went on for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, you know, it was getting better every week, but still not thinking, oh, Let's be an actor, like you know what I mean. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was just get again, get me out of the metalwork stuff that I hate to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the fourth week, uh, it was go- they said they were going to do a little performance piece on the fifth week. I said, "Oh, lovely!" So the f- on the fifth week, my my sort of uh, teacher or head, the head of my class or whatever, he was teaching us metalwork. He wouldn't allow me to go upstairs to the acting class. Oh, no. He had a bit of a weird thing with him, a bit of a power thing, and uh, with him, he was sort of I think he was bullied as a child. I think, and he had this oh, power right. thing. He liked having power over people. And, but he was a lovely fella, but he would he would he would put that power into play sometimes. Yeah. And he was getting a bit jealous of the acting because we were starting to like it, you know, yeah, me and the and other students. Like, what about my course? Yeah, yeah. So he allowed them to go up, but for some reason he wouldn't allow me to go up. And I was like, why? Why won't you allow me to go up? And and he says, no, no, the, like the sort of principal, the head of the place won't allow you. I said, what? Who, Mary? I said, why? Why would why wouldn't she allow me? That's silly. I don't know, ask her. And it was just so random. And he went red. And I could always tell a liar. I just was always going to tell a liar. I always yeah. had that in- intuition. I said, can I, walk, can I go up and ask Mary? And he was sort of tongue twisted. And I just walked out and went up and asked her. And I said, why Why won't you allow me to go up to the acting? She said, what do you mean? I said, Derek said that you won't allow me to go up to the acting. She says, I, that's the first I heard of it. Why wouldn't I allow you to go up to the acting? I said, exactly. So I went back to Derek. I said, Derek, that's a lie. She said, oh, there must be something confused. Oh, you can go up. She said, okay. So I went up. And I was in the middle of the class doing a bit of improv. And Derek walks in with Mary. And and Mary said Derek didn't give you permission to go up. I said, he did. He gave me permission after I asked you, and I got really embarrassed. The two of them kind of yeah. she kind of a bit shouted at me a bit. Mm-hmm. Now at the time I had a really bad temper, mm-hmm. and I was kind of going through a, getting in, <laughs> going into a bit of a bit of messing her there, whatever. I had a really bad temper, and I was sort of, you know, especially in that environment because I was I was ostracized even in school for being a traveler and course, yeah. put outside always so that, like I always the way I, I reacted to shame of being embarrassed was yeah. anger yeah you had to fight yeah, yeah. so yeah. I jumped I jumped up and I, I, I just I get the fuck out of the way you allowed to curse on this 
Well, we'll be yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of the yeah. way. And he got out of the way, and I ended up breaking the door. That yeah. I broke the glass of the door, went to the next door, Jesus. broke that, walked downstairs, broke the next door, <gasps> went downstairs into the where, where I worked, and I, I think I broke a window or something. Just like blank, just lost ahead. I was yeah. embarrassed, lost ahead. Yeah. Quit fast over it. Uh, and then I never thought about acting again until uh, I was 20, and my brother uh, kind of knew something was going on with me mentally. I was I was suffering with depression. I gained two stone in two years, yeah. and uh, he reached out to me, which was very unusual for travelers to do. Mm-hmm. And he said, "What's going on? Tell me what's going on in your life. I know stuff is going on. You won't talk about it. Talk to me." And I ended up just like opening up to him for about three hours, and I was like, uh, I got like a hundred ton weight off my chest. I was carrying this around That's me. Brilliant. Yeah, it was great. So, and then he just said to me, "Look, I know you've been obsessed with film all your life. Why didn't you show me acting?" Yeah. And at that particular moment, when he said it, clicked. it just clicked. It was yeah. I said, "Yeah, why don't I try acting?" Because the reason why it never registered me because it was such an unusual thing for me to do, yeah. or I'd be afraid of what other travelers might have thinking, think, yeah. you know, or settle people getting into people what I mean. People in you know? general, I yeah, think. of course. Just they're like this one thinking, yeah, about, you know, exactly. But again, I didn't think like as a career. I just thought yeah. I'll do it. I literally thought me yeah, this could be like therapy for me because I wouldn't go to therapy. You know what right. I mean? That was the yeah. thing. And I went, and the first night I went up and. I uh, I rang up the uh, she, he got his laptop I rang up the Abbey and, and I just said look I want to do an acting course um, she said have you ever acted before I said no not really I did a tiny like a couple of weeks of a workshop one time she said well, look there's an adult for fun class and I said well the frame wide I was coming from that time that didn't really appeal to me mm-hmm. uh, so I said have you anything a bit more kind of intense I said is that a scene study but you need to kind of everybody who's on it has experience I said well look I'll work hard of the money here whatever mm-hmm. 200 or 300 euros it was my last two or three in the doors, <laughs> but uh, I gave it for the cl- course, and I went up the first night, and I walked into the room, and I said, what the fuck am I at to do, and why did I come here? And it was the same feeling, I remember getting when I was boxing, and I was in the ring, yeah. and I'd walk to the ring, and I'd say, and it was, the nerves were killing me to the point where I wanted to walk away, but I was too ashamed to walk away, and I'd be saying to myself, why are you boxing, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you putting yourself through this trauma? And I was, I did well in boxing, but still the nerves killed me. Yeah. And at the same feeling, I sat down and everybody introduced themselves and they all did two three, two years in the gate or three years in this place and that place. And I said, oh. <laughs> I said, how do we get out? How do we get out? How do we sneak out? I said, I'm going to go to the toilet. And I was going through my head, I was going to go to the toilet. Yeah. So they ended up saying, no, look, we're going to do a quick little warm-up. I did a warm-up and the warm-up kind of got a bit of nerves out. Yeah. And we all sat down. I said, I'll hang on for a while and see. Uh-huh. And it was an improv, an improv session done then where it was a shopkeeper customer. And uh, the shopkeeper... Uh, the customer dictated what kind of shop it was, and the, cust- the, sh- the shopkeeper had to go along with it. Mm-hmm. So there was this, uh, there was this um, black Brazilian man, right? Mm-hmm. He had really kind of poor English, mm-hmm. and he was uh, the shopkeeper, right, mm-hmm. in the first improv. Yeah. And I sort of, it was a weird. I sort of connected with him because of where he was coming from. There was a lad who came in, and he was a really ignorant lad. And he sort of, uh, he, met, he said it was a protein shop and, and the Brazilian had to go along with it. But he was like, tra- he was trying to trick him because he knew he'd poor English and he was making fun of him. I thought it was a bit racist. Yeah. And at the time I was suffering with depression and I was full of rage. Of course, and rage yeah. and depression are just, you know, they're angry brothers. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So I could Don't just click like that. Happen, yeah. And I remember literally fantasizing about grabbing the customer and throwing him out the window because it was a second story in the Abbey. And throwing him out the window. I fantasized about it and I clicked out of it. And I said, I'm going to do something. So the rage gave me a bit of, not confidence, but just like, I don't give a fuck attitude. Right, so yeah. when that improv finished, the customer became the shopkeeper and he looked for a volunteer. So I said, okay, I'll volunteer. And you had to walk out the door and then walk back in. So I walked back out the door and I came in and I robbed the place. And I grabbed him and I took off his shoes and his socks and I slapped him around and I choked him. And, and then the teachers were out, stop. <laughs> 
And I went, oh shit, what did I do? And I walked out, and I walked downstairs, and I was like leaving to go goodbye, mm-hmm. never see you again. I'm at the making a show of myself. And the teacher, an Australian teacher, Julie Shearer, I'll never forget her, she came back down after me and she said, uh, right, come here, don't go. I said, no, look, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, don't go. That was mental. Uh, <laughs> But you showed something there. You have something. But let's let's try to control yeah. it. Uh, you didn't kill anybody. <laughs> I'm sure he'll get over. Come back in. So I went over, and and everybody was just kind of was a little not scared, but they were a little, you know. A little bit on and edge. then uh, weeks after weeks, we all became really good friends, and and that's that just gave me the bug. But when I came outside that night after the, after the course, I was walking down Lower Abbey Street, and it was weird. Everybody kept looking at me right in the face. I was like, why is these strangers just looking at me? And I realized I dis smile from cheekbone to cheekbone and maybe it was weird because I hadn't smiled in about two years right. this sort of uh, this weird sort of joker smile maybe yeah. and I went home and I was gone like I mean, literally like, I mean it was like, like, it was like taking a magic pill depression was gone and then I just became obsessed with this oh so there's a long God, rant for you anyway that is such an amazing yeah. story and the thing is I ask people this question all the time you have been insanely honest mm. and that think people really need that job. I think the more honest you are, yeah. you have to be really honest with yourself as an actor, I think. I don't think if you I think if you're totally. not, you're fooling yourself and you just keep uh, building on a on a fake foundation. Completely. I think you have to be an open book. Yeah. That's where I, I come from anyway, I don't know. Absolutely. And to be honest, that is exactly what acting is. We I often try and like pin it, you know, when people chatting to people, like what is it? What is it? And I think you hit the nail on the head completely. It's not really about like making stuff up or not yeah. um, or lying. It's actually about being truthful yeah. and being um so unbelievably vulnerable uh, to allow that to happen. A hundred percent. And I mean, but make no mistake about it, look, a lot of actors they have these grand sort of ideas of why do you do acting or whatever. Yeah. I, I'll be totally honest why I do acting. Uh, it's totally selfish reasons. I yeah. do it for me. Yeah. Like great if I can do a film where there's great social commentary mm-hmm. and poli- politics that yeah. I agree with, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. They're few and far between. But I do it for me and I do it for to express myself exactly. and I try to put the truth into it. And if and if I if I don't I fail and I've done that and I've no problem doing that, but you learn all the time. Yeah. And the more you grow as a person, you grow as an actor. There's no real distinction for me, you know? No, absolutely. And I think it's it's brilliant for people to hear this because I was the same when I was younger. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I knew I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't look at anybody in, in the eye. It was the only thing that I could do was do a, the tiny bit of drama. And then eventually, like you, it just mm. clicked and you became you. Yeah. Really. Ultimately. It's great though, isn't it? Yeah. You, get the, you get to express yourself. The thing is, you can use it though. I used it as just a vehicle for therapy then. Yeah. And it was good at the start, but then I realized that's not permanent as well. But what, what it did was, acting ended up allowing me to expand my mind mm-hmm. and become comfortable with talking about who I am and, and uh, where I'm coming from and how I feel as well in real life. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was able to really speak dialogue with people then. So I grew as a person. Yeah. So then that's that's why I'm saying there's no distinction then, you know? Between you just keep going down that same path. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've noticed is um, you work a lot with uh, Mark O'Connor. Do you remember the first yeah. time... You yeah. Stalker would have been the first one. Do you no, remember? King of the Travelers. Oh, King of the Travelers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. King of the Travelers was the first one I did. A, I heard about open auditions for King of the Travelers, and they were looking for real travelers. So I said, uh, I did about a year and a half of part-time course in the Abbey, so I said, I'll have an advantage here, you know? Because yeah. so I, I wasn't really confident enough to go for auditions. I went for one, and one, pr- one of the casting directors asked me, where's your accent from? I said, I'm a traveler. And he kind of got, he blushed, kind of went red, like as oh. if they got a fright, like maybe the first encounter with a traveler. And I wasn't carrying a, I wasn't carrying a, a slash sugar blood around. Like, so uh, I, I kind of got, I got knocked back a bit, but I heard if they're looking for authentic travelers, I said, okay, that's, that's good. But I knew the lad who was playing the lead in the film. Okay. And uh, I grew up with him and he, we boxed together. John, a sound fella, lovely fella. 
and I asked John to get me an audition, but somehow he was kind of resistant that he wouldn't Can help me get an audition. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but a lovely fella, but really, I was trying, but he wouldn't. He just wouldn't get me in the door, right? And my my cousin, a cousin of mine, um, she's a girl, April. She's like my sister, treated like my sister, and I would have told just me mother and me brothers. And a couple of close people, and her, she'd be one of them, because she's like my sister about the acting, because I was kind of afraid of being judged or whatever. Mm. And she ended up getting in touch with Michael Collins, who was in King of the Travers, Michael Collins. So Michael rang me up and said, you, you, You're you, looking for an audition? I said, Absolutely. So it's Saturday in Film Base at such a time, blah, blah, blah. And it was 12 o'clock, and I ended up showing up at uh, half 10. I was that excited. And Mark kind of walked in with his wife, Beatrice, and the producer, Cormac Fox. And I knew straight away it was them anyway. And he looked at me and he looked, and I would look at them and he went upstairs and I remember looking out the window and he said it later on, I knew it was you, I knew you, I knew you were here for that and I knew there was something there. So I ended up going up and he was saying, does anybody know what an improv is? And I went, yeah, like I know, because it was just loads of traveller lads who never acted in their life, like anybody, never mm-hmm. acted, and they were all nervous. But they were all there looking for a bit of the spotlight or trying to get a few quid or whatever and, and who can blame them. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know what an improv is. Do you want to do an improv with Michael Collins? I said, sure, no problem. And improv was sort of my strength, always has been, because I never got really strong theater training, you know? Yeah. So I, improv was just sort of natural because I wasn't afraid of it. Mm. You know what I mean? I kind of, I look at it in a way that you can't go wrong, no, right? Now, especially in a scenario where, when something's just getting created. Now, when you have a really tight, structured narrative and you, and you really define your character you can go wrong if you don't do the work because mm. then you're just improvising as you you know what I mean so you have to yeah. do your work around the character but in a scenario like that you can't go wrong yeah. so I don't care you can't go wrong even saying nothing is, is a choice and improv is just about choice mm. so we did an improv and I thought you know I'm at the nail in that you know and I got that part I know I did you know and I was you know talking around acting circles and they told me if you don't hear back in the first week or two you're not getting nothing okay. and about four or five weeks went by and I got nothing and I was like fuck I said, why? What is it? <laughs> uh, I started doubting, what is it? Is it the way you look or what is it, you know? Yeah. And then he ended up bringing me Mark O'Connor and he said, uh, you know, the part you went to audition for doesn't suit you, but I've written a part for you. Seven or eight scenes, written it with the lead. I said, oh, great, brilliant. Obsessed now, just, oh, just, just couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. Right. So ended up doing about two months of rehearsal because the majority of the cast were, were, were travellers and non-actors. Okay. So I did about two months of that. And after about the two months, the lead got sacked, I got the lead. Uh, and John, he was pretty sound about it. He wanted me to have it when he got the sack because it was a part of the character that he couldn't connect with. It was that rage, okay. and that was a fami- that was something I was really familiar with, you know. Mm-hmm. So I basically got it on that on that sort of reason, whatever. And after that, then Mark uh, asked me to come together and we'll mesh a few ideas together. I was writing a play about a man with schizophrenia because mm-hmm. my father had schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And he committed suicide. And that was sort of, I was wanting to go down and said, I'll do a bit of theatre and do something a bit different and fresh. Yeah. And Mark was asking me about it. And he said he knew this fellow who was a stalker in Ranala. And he was a really interesting character. So we ended up meeting together and we meshed the two ideas together. And we wrote like about 60 pages in one day of a script. And we wrote the whole thing in just a few weeks. And we decided to do it like that as an experiment. To write it in a few weeks. And, and not have a really tight narrative and something experimental and loose. And let's change it up on the day. And let's not try to fund it the mm-hmm. typical way. Let's do a funded campaign. And no film was funded like that at the time. But we were the first. Let's do it an experiment from birth. Right up until it was distributed, because we distributed ourselves even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that ended up just being the time in my life. And really, it because of the, the role that I was playing, I had to sort of educate myself on matters I had the clue about, course, uh, yeah. politically as well, you know, because it was a very political sort of character. Yeah. And also, you did mental illness called the Rotomania. And I wouldn't have been too familiar with that, but I'd be familiar with just sort of mental health, health yeah. overall. And then homelessness and that sort of problem. The biggest challenge was... How, like, how does he feel? How does he feel? He has no one in the world. Mm. 
he has no one in the world, no one to no one to support him. And I was just I couldn't get my head around that because I came from such a strong like my family community it's all about yeah. family. Yeah. And I just couldn't get my head around it. That was that that was sort of the hardest challenge. But I mean yeah. that's that was kind of when I took a next step up yeah. as an actor yeah. and I went now I'm an actor, you know yeah. what I mean? So you are a method actor then. That is really what you do. That, that's I'd be I'd be apprehensive about calling myself a method actor. Okay. I have a method, all right, or, and it kind of changes every time. <laughs> I don't know method. if it's their method, and I don't think either of the methods... Well, the only real method there is is Lee Strasberg's version, because Stella Adler doesn't call her version the method. Yeah. Which, um, Meisner doesn't call his version of Robert Lewis or any of them. You know, and Stanislavski, that was, that's not the method either. It's the Stanislavski yeah. system. Everybody just calls them all the method. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I've read all them books, and I've done and I've I've taught I've I've been taught under Hope Brown who taught some of the Stanislavski system and the method the Strasbourg version yeah. and I loved them but the stuff that I didn't I didn't like it and stuff that I didn't think is practical I think a lot of it isn't actually practical uh-huh. uh, but there's some stuff that is amazing um, but I think you just have to find your own way just mm-hmm. find your own. actually I've to be honest recently I've been learning a lot more back to just from psychology from reading psychology because st- essentially that's what the Stanislavski system was based on really yeah. and all every version that's come since then has been heavily influenced by um, psychology and I've been looking at this um, this sort of psychology gestalt therapy I work as a, as a drug support worker yeah. in the KCCP in Kilparic and I have this boss who is a cognitive scientist and he's, a, and he's a psychologist and one day he was telling me about this dude gestalt he's a German right mm-hmm. and a particular type of type of therapy where you're forced to look into things in your subconscious that you have no idea about, right? Yeah. But you sort of have to be an open-minded person. And he and he said, look, do you want to try it? I'm, I'm trained in, in Gestalt therapy. And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah. I, I think I'm out there addressing a lot of my problems anyway and I've analyzed myself. <laughs> you know, so he, he asked me a question. He asked me who was sitting across from you. Uh, uh, he said, say his name. And I said, John. Uh, and I don't know why I said it, but it was my father. But I don't know why I said it. I don't think I had daddy issues. I thought I resolved that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you thought it was gone. I was like, just I just said John, but I didn't think he was going to ask me who it was then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then he sw- like you have to. It's an improvised therapy, so he has to he has to be so trained that he that he's a million different questions to ask you depending on what you say. And he and I said okay. He said, what would you say to John? What would you want to say to John right now? Well, say something to him. And I I said. I didn't. I couldn't know. I was lost words, and I was getting emotional straight away because yeah. it was straight to the nerve. Because I was thinking, why does he say that? That's not a problem, but it's something that came from the subconscious. Yeah. And then whatever I said, he said, "Now take the other seat. Now you're John. What would you say to you?" Oh God! And then I was like, "Oh shit!" Ah! <laughs> oh. That is insane. And then it was just bawling my eyes out, and then he said, "Right, that's enough." So then I started reading about this dude Gestalt and yeah. his approach to therapy, mm-hmm. and I was just saying, "This is this is." This is the method to the core, the good shit of it anyway, mm-hmm. you know? So I th- you just have to be open to different things, you know what I mean? You do, yeah. That, <laughs> that's amazing. Because you would then really be the person who teaches yourself. Because did you yeah. do class as such? Yeah, well, I did the part-time classes in the Abbey, and they were I just practical know. scene study stuff. Okay. And it was great because you just got up and acted. It wasn't about a technique. You just got up and acted, right. and you got critiqued. And she was sort of a classical sort of style of acting, and she was from Australia. Yeah. Uh, it's not my style at all. And she like I used to give her pains in the head because right. I wouldn't project my voice. I wouldn't, you know, have the bright posture yeah. because I'd be saying it's not real. It's not fucking real. I said, but theater is not about that. It's about you know, it's about being bigger and being. The I said, but no, that's not real. I didn't grow up watching theater. I didn't grow up inspired by theater. I grew yeah. up watching realism. That's what inspired me. Now I understand there's people out there that go, oh, you know, if you don't do theater, not a real actor. I don't give a fuck what they say. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I wouldn't do it either, but I prefer film because of the realism. Mm. 
because I never got it. I went to so many plays where I never got, like, very odd time I got inspired by a play. But I can, can't even count the amount of times I watched the film or a scene where it just blew me away. Yeah. And I understand, I understood something there or learned something mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, I, I prefer going down that route, realism, you know? Tell me, though, how did you get involved with Love, Hate and meeting uh, Maureen and thing, getting, like, cast and stuff? How, how did that come about? <sighs> I've been unbelievably lucky. I have no agent. I barely ever audition for anything. I've like I've been unbelievably lucky, and it's just been kind of a snowball of things that happen have happened to me. So after Stalker, uh, the Stalker and Kingless Travers premiered in the Galway Film Festival, and both were edited in a really short period of time. Mm-hmm. And it was one was on the Friday, the other was on the Saturday. And I had done as I was auditioning before I got the part of Kingless Travers. Uh, someone came up to my boxing club and they were looking for tough looking fellas for, for love hate right yeah. uh, and I was just there and I was doing acting class tough looking fellas and they were looking for extras and I said I wouldn't really be interested in an extra I said is there any like a, any few lines here there and, and the ca- I, f- I forget her name at the time she was like an assistant to, to Maureen at the time uh, really unusual name so I should remember but I'm terrible with names <laughs> no, forget her name anyway. Her name's gone. But she said, There is one character actually, and it hasn't been cast, but there's only a couple of, it's like a special extra part. And I said, Yeah, because I wanted to get on set and see what it was like on a film set before I did the King of the Travers thing. I was like, uh, I was like rehearsing for King of the Travers. I never got the lead, but I had a small part. But my biggest fear was I was going to show up on set of King of the Travers, see this big crew, and just panic. Yeah. So I said, Get on a set just to see what it's like soaking in. And that opportunity came up, and she said, Okay, there's a couple of lines for one character, and we come on the day and we'll see what the crack is. So I went along on the day. And uh, Dave Caffrey, uh, the director of Love Hay, came over to me and he said, right, who's the guy with a couple of lines? And before your man gets ahead, and I said, me. And he said, okay, well, here's a couple of lines. And I said, okay. And I and I just kind of paused and I was, mm-hmm. and was like, there was something wrong. I said, they're not great lines. And he said, what? God, and I, was a, I, I know now that I was a cheeky bastard, but I was, I was naive to it then. I was uh, yeah, being right. honest, you know, yeah. because I, co- I know I'm a traveller, but I come from a work class area, Darndale, the area, the sort of areas that are being portrayed in Love Hate. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just didn't like these lines. Now, Stuart is an amazing writer, mm-hmm. an amazing, like wor- world class. And that's mm-hmm. why there's never going to be a show as good as Love Hate again on our on RT or in this country, because we haven't got another writer like him. But those particular lines, I just didn't like them. They weren't punchy, you yeah. know. So I switched them around, did a bit of improv. And, uh, Do you remember what they were? Uh, the, something that put a pop on it or something, or uh, put a proper pop on it. Run like oh, fuck. Run like fuck. Yeah. Ha- have a proper pop on it. Yeah. Um, do you know, he, we actually had him in, t- in film base and he spoke about you saying those lines and that there was something about you saying those lines that he knew he had something special <laughs> in you. Mm. I tweeted that out and tagged you in yeah. it. I remember that, yeah, yeah. Stuart said something like that to me anyway. A lovely fella he is. <laughs> no, he, it was, he, it, but there was something similar. I just switched the kind of the word of it and added in a couple of words because yeah. there was something that just didn't sound right. Didn't say well, maybe yeah. I just wa- I wasn't capable of delivering that. You know what I mean? Sometimes you look at a line and you go, how can I deliver that line? You know what I mean? You just, you, you'd like to change it. And I do that with everything I do now. I try If I get someone open, I will change the shit out of it to suit me yeah. or to suit the character, you know? So I ended up changing it. And I seen Stuart then in, in the Galway Film Festival after the, the second screening, which was King of the Travellers. And he came up to me, and I was in a daze, and I was like, Jesus, what am I going to do? Her, this is weird. Everybody's coming up and saying, great job, and whatever, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not. I, d- I didn't really care. I didn't. I kind of didn't like the praise. It was something weird. I didn't li- The praise was like, like every time someone praised me, I was like getting upset. I was like, why did he praise me? I didn't want you know, I didn't want to yeah. accept it or something. I felt I wasn't worthy of praise. Mm-hmm. It was weird, because I was still kind of just, you know, edgy with stuff anyway mm-hmm. so Stuart said to me look uh, 
I love that bit you did in Love Hate. I said, oh, cool. I didn't even... He said, I'm Stuart Carlin, the writer. Oh, I said, oh, how are you, man? How are you? Lovely. Nice to meet you. He said, I'd love to bring you back and uh, expand your character a bit. I tried to find a way, though. I don't know how to find... To get you in, but I want to get you in. I love the bit you've done. There's something about you. I said, oh, yeah, cool, man. Whatever. And you just hear, like, people come up and say this kind of shit all the time, you know? So, yeah. And I didn't know Stuart from Adam, so... But now I know Stuart's a man of his word. If he says something, that's it. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, yeah, cool. Here's my email. Here's my number, Grant. Whatever. And I, th- I didn't think anything anything of it. I think in November then, that was July, in November he, sa- he ended up sending me like a rough sort of little script and ideas for the character and do you want to meet or whatever. I was like, cool. So I ended up meeting him and he said, look, do we go down? You kind of put on a kind of half Dublin-y traveller accent because I was kind of ha- wasn't sure what to do with him myself at the time. Mm-hmm. Do we go down the Dublin route or the travel route? And I wasn't sure. I said, I'm not sure because I'm, I'm, I'm very politically minded and I'm worried about the way my people are portrayed and whatever. So I wasn't really sure, and then I thought maybe it could be an interesting way to show parts of the culture that we haven't seen, that haven't been nailed realistically too, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, but we kind of kept it just shut down that season. He, s- he said, just use your own accent, we won't get into the traveller thing. And it was just come in for three episodes. Okay. And then we ended up going back the year after, and he, we met up and he said, look, where, where do you want to go from here? Like, you're at the leaving, you're at the going thing, do you want to come back? Mm. And I, honestly, I was hesitant, I wasn't sure, I didn't know, you know, because I, I knew it had to get bigger then. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure because it's like, again, the traveller role, playing the traveller role and, mm-hmm. and how I play it and the world that I'm in, the way yeah. I ended up justifying it was everybody else has settled people and they're all doing even worse things. So I said, we have to get one traveller that's okay. really quality. <laughs> uh, so we ended up deciding and I said, yeah. He said, do you want to come back in a smaller way and just tell Fran and get out of there or do you want to come back in a big way? And I said, you know what, let's go back in a big way. Of course. I said, because I'll tell you why Patrick wouldn't come back in a small way and just squeal to Fran. That's He's true. too much honour for that. He's not a little bitch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not like, you know what I mean? He's not, that's not him. Yeah. You know, and he's still, he's not going to squeal even when he gets back straight away. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take a lot from him to still squeal. Because yeah. that's just the way he is. He has honour, yeah. you know. And we, w- we talked about this for hours and hours and weeks and weeks. And Stuart just kept writing away, writing away. And, and uh, it just kept developing. And it just ended up being a fucking brilliant part. Oh. I was like wetting, wetting myself when, I, when <laughs> I, I ended up reading the scene. And it was uh, episode four. And I was in the container with um, Thomas Collins, who's a traveller as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of a torture scene. And it was just the looking at the dialogue, and it was just the flow to the dialogue was just like a, like it didn't. It was just perfect. Mm-hmm. It was like it was like Shakespearean, yeah. just this flow, and it was beautiful. Because he just then started to understand the way I spoke, mm-hmm. and you know he, he shaped around the way I spoke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I'd say that was probably the closest got to me as a character. And if I wouldn't be as nice as Patrick, that, that you wouldn't be as nice. No, no, I, <laughs> no, definitely not. I would have so played a lot dirtier. <laughs> Uh, and then you went on and you did Rebellion, I suppose, with the whole, like, uh, 100 years, 1916. Mm. Um, what was that like? It, it, like, going back to, like, a period sort of piece? That was great, yeah. No, I heard about Rebellion. I heard about it late because I wasn't, uh, I don't have an agent. And I was not getting an agent until I've no work lined up and I've had work lined up for the last three years. So I said, when I run out, I'll get an agent. Uh, so, uh, basically, I, I heard about it and I said, Jesus Christ, I need to get in this. Mm. My great-grandfather fought in the 1916 Rising Rose Distillery Parts Award. Yeah. And to say I'm proud of that fact uh, is an understatement. Mm-hmm. So I got in touch with Maureen Hughes, no one know, and Maureen Sound, and I helped Maureen a bit with Love Hay, with the casting of the Real Travellers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she kind of, she owed me one. <laughs> and I got <laughs> in touch with Maureen, and I said, it. Maureen, what's, what's, what's left in Rebellion? What's left the cast? Let me know. Get me in there. I'll play anything. Just, I wanted to just wear like a uniform or just get yeah. a picture. Just, just you I know, know just paying homage it. to my great-grandfather. That's all I wanted. I didn't care. I wouldn't care about going in and doing a line. I don't care. Like, until you make it, you don't make it. And I haven't met it, so I, I wouldn't care about what role I play. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Shannon would get back to me and said, look, there's only a small, smallish role, like a mm-hmm. few scenes, um, but he is based on a real-life fella and he was the printer of the proclamation. I was deadly, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll do it. said, well, I'll see what the crack is. Mm-hmm. So she ended up showing some of my stuff to the director, Aku. Mm-hmm. And Aku just seen it and said, yep, cast me, just cast me on the spot. And I was the only person actually got cast with her an audition and I met him. He's a lovely fella. Uh, and I just got, a, got on with him straight away. But I tell you, it was only like it was only like a few days on a four or five days on a only small part, but a great experience because you. that dude is 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 amazing as a director to work with. Um, I went on to say he's so so different. Like he doesn't block out a scene, he and he doesn't rehearse before a scene, which I love. Uh, and he loves improv, which I love. The blocking, though, I have to say, caught me a bit off guard, but I love it too. But I just, you're so used to being blocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so used to the scene being all blocked out. Now, Mark wouldn't be very strict with his blocking, and, and he'd, he'd, yeah. he'd, you'd have all the input as well, like, so that's great. But this dude was not even blocking a scene out. <laughs> just, <laughs> just walk and meet. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. And like, Brian Gleason's there, like, saying, yeah, this is it every day. Like, this is what it's like. Like, you know. So I said, okay. So we walked and we met and we just like, we just sort of improvised. It was a, I don't even know what happened. And then we did another take. And two, that was it, two or three takes. Of, and it was great. It was really freeing, you know, really, yeah. really, uh, really brilliant experience, yeah. I have to say, yeah. And is there any parts that you, you would love to play? Ah, jeez, there's loads that I want to play. Like, I mean, but ultimately, you know, what I figured out is, so you talk about versatility. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah, like I hear what they're saying, but a lot of people think versatility is just change your costume grow a beard mm. you know what I mean like change your look yeah. physically and even just your even your voice and I know they're very important things and people like Gary Oldman and Daniel Lewis do that amazing I know they're very important things but really actually what versatility for me is yeah. uh, is playing different emotions uh, being able to play any emotion that's versatility James Gandolfini is my idea of per- versatility okay. now don't get me wrong I want to do them mad shit and do all like, like there's a you know, fun side of it yeah. kid side of it we just want to transform or do a different thing and get a costume and I'll do all that no doubt I'll get to that mm-hmm. but real versatility for me is being able to play different emotions even in the same scene I watched mm-hmm. the scene in this bra- my biggest influence ever is James Gandolfini yeah. Brando probably just about second but yeah. James They're Gandolfini I went 18 months mm-hmm. binging on the Sopranos mm-hmm. and repeated it over and over drinking red wine and eating pasta <laughs> all day and gaining weight in a depression but it felt great it was comfortable you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and I seen that man was able to play four or five emotions in one scene and I just look at that man and I'm blown away because he's the perfect combination between internal acting and technical acting yeah. I think for me he's the greatest actor who ever lived because of that he has that combo together that's real versatility to me anyway mm-hmm. you know so that's the barrier I'm looking at and I'm striving to get there one day but uh, the thing is you look at these sort of things you look at him you look at Brando you look at fellas like that and you feel like quitting acting because they're doing it at s- such a high level you know yeah. but again it gives, you, it gives you a bit of inspiration something to kind of hit for yeah, yeah of course yeah, and you have recently uh, done the secret scripture and that was uh, with Jim Sheridan yeah yeah, yeah. that's right what was that oh like? stop this is look come on Jim Sheridan I grew up by like some of my favourite films like, Jim Sheridan uh, made the he made Vanessa the ba- he made the best Irish films ever he made the, his best Irish director ever uh, what's he six time Oscar nominee or something yeah. uh, I always wanted to work with Jim Sheridan I thought that was I th- and I believe I've belief in myself I've, I've a belief I don't go around bragging about it but I have an inner belief uh, and I think you have to have that and yeah. no matter what happens to me I always have that no matter what even when I get knocked down I always have that belief mm-hmm. but I thought like I'm going to work with Jim Sheridan one day definitely in about 10 or 15 years yeah. and I ended up there was an article in the paper 
uh, me uncle brought it to me, mother brought it to me. It was like Jim Sheridan does an article in the paper in the Star where he was saying John Connors is going to make it to Hollywood. I think he's great presence. He's this, he's that, or whatever. <laughs> now listen, we all love a bit of praise and know what we're doing. Don't let any actor hear. I don't want this. It's all bullshit. You try to act all mysterious and and you know, do everybody loves a little bit of praise when you're again. You need a little bit of praise. We're just human beings. That's the way we're made. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I heard Jim Sheridan saying his beautiful things, I was like, brilliant. I'm doing something right. But my family were like, what the fuck? Like yeah. this. It was confirmed. <laughs> I've made it. And I was like, no. I listen. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't make it the Hollywood jet. I was saying them. You know. So I ended up, I ended up, I was saying, when I get that Jim Sheridan, I'm going to make sure he casts me in his next film because he can't be saying that shit unless he's going to cast me. <laughs> and I did this, I did, it was a something I did, um, it was a 170 year tradition that's in the Shelburne Hotel, Wolf Tone started or something, or more, longer than mm -hmm. that, where they bring all Americans across to invest in the local economy and start businesses. So I ended up, uh, I ended up, uh, I was asked, me and Damien Epsi, Damien Epsi, a good friend of mine, we were asked to be leaders of a gang, bringing all these business people around. Bono was another leader, Jim Sheridan was another leader. And I was like, what am I leader for this, you know, with these people? But I brought them around and I was showing them the traveller side of things. These people never knew about travellers. I was singing songs, but they were loving it. And we went up and we went up to Kamehameha and we had a big dinner up there. It was great. So I was trying to get Jim. I was like, I'm going to get this Jim for that and I'm going to get him. But I never got to get him, right? Oh but a couple of weeks after, I got a phone call from Frank Moselle, the casting director. And he said, he said to me, look, Jim wants to cast in this film. Oh, so amazing, brilliant, thank you. So what's the role? Oh, we don't know yet, we haven't a clue, but he wants to cast you. I'll ring you in a while. <laughs> I said, all right, cool, thanks. I think he rings me about two weeks later. Right, there's this part, IRA Man 2. That's the kind of part I was expecting. Yeah. So it was like a scene or two. Or, and I said, beautiful. One scene, one line, one look, just on the gym share to get on that set. Yeah. And then I ended up doing a read-through, and he came to me, Jim came out and was like, hmm, there's another part there, um, Joe Brady. I said, yeah, th that's uh, he's a 55-year-old kind of mentally ill, sexually oppressed farmer. Uh, he says, yeah, 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 but f f who cares about the age? I said, I, I certainly don't anyway. No, um, he said, we'll make him your age, whatever you are. Well, I said, I'm, I'm you know, I think last year I said I'm 25, but I look 35, so it's grand. Uh, he said, okay, we'll make him that age. I said, okay. So he said, right, uh, we get to on set, so I was meant to be on set for two days. I ended up getting like 12 days on set. Just kept calling me, like getting phone calls out of the blue at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm about to go to my homework, and, and, and they're ringing me, the ADs are ringing me, Jim wants to come on set today. Are you able to come on set? Where are you right now? We'll send a taxi right now to get you right now. Oh my God. I'm like, what? Okay. And then I'm going on set. There's no lines, there's no nothing. There's just improv. And I love improv anyway, you know? Like, so it was just like, and then he, <laughs> like, the character gets brought. My character was only meant to be in, in this little town, and the lead, Rooney Mara, who's an amazing actress, yes, and yeah. probably most of my scenes were with her, which was amazing. Um, she, she, ends up, uh, she, she ends up going to a mental hospital in the script. Now, my character doesn't go anywhere near a mental hospital, although he's kind of a bit touched. Yeah. And I kind of didn't. I was just figuring the character out as it went along because he, he, Jim was making it bigger, not the script, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I ended up going to a mental hospital, and we showed up in uh, Port Rand Mental Hospital. Weird because that's my father was in went to that same mental hospital. It was kind of weird, and uh, he just said, "Right, I figured out Joe Brady's now in a mental hospital. He's in the men's side, and he's going to chase that character, Rooney Mara's character." Oh and he's and I was, now it look most of us won't even make the film. Jim chops films up and whatever. Yeah, it was just a great yeah. experience. Yeah. But uh, it was really, it was just, it was, it was just, it was a dream. It was an absolute dream to work with him. So that's one off the bucket list, anyway. <laughs> Tell me though, have you any tips or tricks or advice for actors coming up to the ranks? Um. Jesus, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I, what I did was I, I decided I made a decision not to not to look for a yes off anybody. 
That's not to look for a yes off anybody or, or, or a green light or a oh, go. Light, right, yeah. I had to do it myself. Yeah. So I co-wrote Stalker with Mark. I, I wrote Carver Gangsters. Mark, come on, I'll do a draft on it too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in the middle of writing another script. I'm nearly finished. Uh, and I, I'm writing my own stuff and, and writing parts that I like and writing about stuff that I like and I'm making stuff now. I'm not saying you have to do that, but what's stopping a young up-and-coming actor of just reaching out to a friend who owns a camera mm-hmm. and getting some another friend to write a short and just shoot shit yeah. and, and do a, a scene that displays their best as- attributes as an actor mm-hmm. and put that, up line, put that up online and put it out there. What's stopping you from doing that? Or would you prefer to just wait around I'm and go to a million auditions yeah. and wait for them to give you the green light to do it? Because like, you can act anywhere. You can do it any way you want. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, that'd be the main thing. And in terms of just like just on set, on a set, like, I mean, just do uh, do every bit of work you can do because, I mean, why not? Why not do it? It's fun. All that learning is fun. Yeah. But when you get on set, I mean, the number, t- the number one thing I learned was don't overthink things. Do not overthink things because then what you're doing is you're constructing a performance in your mind and it's going to be a technical performance. Mm-hmm. And that that's nothing. There's, that's n- not. there's no power in that. There's no motion in that. No one's going to feel nothing. And it's all about feeling at the end of the day. Yeah. Don't overthink things. Go in there and be in the moment. Be in the moment and concentrate on the person in front of you. I mean, that's what I'm learning. I'm learning all the time, constantly learning. I mean, I don't know, whatever that's worth, anyway. Yeah. And finally, I always leave with this. Uh, what has been the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and who was that from? Okay, best piece of advice was from Mikey Collins. Mm-hmm. It was on the first day, uh, the first day on King of the Travers on set. And I was a bit nervous and he knew it and he walked over to me and he says, take your time. He says, take it one scene at a time and one day at a time and you'll be okay. That was the best advice I ever got. John Connors, thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us. Thank this you for having me. so interesting. I <laughs> loved it. <laughs> uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.